bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. This is our Tuesday, April 6th, 2021 podcast. On today's podcast, we'll talk about a subject that is especially important to those of you involved in affordable housing and community development. We're talking about the Capital Magnet Fund. The Capital Magnet Fund program is available to community development financial institutions, or CDFIs, and nonprofit organizations with a mission of developing or managing affordable housing. The Capital Magnet Fund offers grants to use to finance affordable housing and community development in low-income communities. Now, in late February of this year, the CDFI Fund awarded more than $175 million through the Capital Magnet Fund's fiscal year 2020 round. And we expect the 2021 round to open by June. And our own Peter Lawrence projects that the CDFI Fund will have about $370 million to award in this 2021 round. That's more than double the amount awarded in 2020. Now, the Capital Magnet Fund is a competitive program. So now is the perfect time to discuss how interested applicants can prepare for the next round. Now, to give you an idea as to just how competitive the program is, 137 organizations applied for the 2020 round, but only 48, or about a third of those applicants, received an award. Now, with $175 million in grants available, applicants actually requested more than triple that amount. Applicants requested $642 million in awards. Now, I share these statistics not because I want to scare anyone off, but really just to emphasize the importance of submitting a competitive application. And I'll repeat, as I noted earlier, we do expect the CDFI fund to award about $370 million in capital magnet fund grants in this next round. So there will be a much greater opportunity for applicants to receive an award. Now, joining me in today's discussion is an expert in helping clients apply for and receive capital magnet fund awards. And that would be my partner, Amanda Reed from Novogratis Cleveland, Ohio office. Many of you may already be familiar with Amanda from our conferences, where she often moderates discussion sessions on the New Markets Tax Credit and the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit. Now, our discussion today is going to make good use of Amanda's expertise, as our discussion includes what factors make for a successful capital magnet fund application. Now, we'll break today's discussion into two parts. First, Amanda and I are going to discuss how to become a certified CDFI and how that designation can help your organization access grant funding to support economically underserved communities. There are a variety of programs and resources available to CDFIs, such as the New Markets Tax Credit and obviously the Capital Magnet Fund. Now, after discussing CDFI basics, if you will, we're going to talk more in depth about the Capital Magnet Fund and what you should be doing now to prepare for the upcoming application period. We'll outline recommended practices and strategies and how to get a competitive edge with your application. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Amanda, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on the call today. Happy to be here. Great. Now, let's start with the basics. If you could share with our listeners what a CDFI is, I said Community Development Financial Institution, maybe you could share a little more depth as to what that is and why they apply to the CDFI fund to be certified as a CDFI. Sure. So like you mentioned, CDFI stands for Community Development Financial Institution, and those are private financial institutions that provide credit and financial services to underserved markets and populations. They are mainly dedicated to delivering kind of responsible, affordable lending to help low-income, low-wealth, and other disadvantaged people and communities. The types of entities that could be a CDFI can include um, a regulated institution, such as community development banks and credit unions, and they could also be non-regulated institutions like loan and venture capital funds. They can be structured as a for-profit or a non-profit, 
And probably a number of the reasons why a, a CDFI would want to become certified through the CDFI fund is that there's a variety of programs within the CDFI fund that a CDFI could potentially be eligible to participate in once they become certified. So these are a whole different types of programs that would enable CDFIs to finance a wide range of activities for their businesses, which can include mortgage lending for first-time home buyers, underwriting, flexible underwriting for community facilities, and kind of commercial loans for businesses in low-income areas. So those are the reasons they would do that. I know you work with a lot of clients to help them get certified. So maybe you could share with our listeners what it takes to get an entity certified by the CDFI fund? Sure, of course. The CDFI fund certification by the CDFI fund is a designation that's given by the CDFI fund to specialized organizations that provide financial services in low-income communities and to people who lack access to financing. In order to be certified by the CDFI fund, you have to be a financing entity, which CDFIs are. You have to be a non-government entity and not under the control of any government entity. And then there's a list of other requirements that you would need to meet, such as having um, a primary mission of promoting community development, primarily serving one or more target markets, and you have to be providing development services in conjunction with your financing activities. So those are some of the extra requirements on top of just being a CDFI that you would need to do to become certified. And once you think you've met those requirements and you submit an application into the CDFI fund, um, you know, it can take up to 90 days or more to hear back from the CDFI fund. And I would say definitely recently, it's been taking a lot longer than 90 days to hear back from them on the certification. And I would just say currently, there's approximately about 1,200 certified CDFIs right now and about 70 certified native CDFIs. Great. Thank you for that. And I will, to our listeners, I will share Amanda's contact information at the end of the podcast. So if you're interested in reaching out to her about applying to have your CDFI certified or uh, discuss with her having a CDFI formed and then applying for certification, Amanda can assist you at least in part. So let's turn now to what CDFIs and nonprofit housing organizations should know about the Capital Magnet Fund. Uh, We expect the application to be released soon, as I mentioned earlier, and it will be the biggest round ever of the Capital Magnet Fund at roughly $370 million in awards and possibly uh, opening by June. So if you could share some high level information on the Capital Magnet Fund, often referred to as the CMS with our listeners, uh, that would be really useful, such as, you know, which entities are eligible Mm -hmm. uh, and how the funds can be used uh, to promote housing in low-income communities. Sure, of course. Um, So in order to apply for the Capital Magnet Fund, um, you need to either be a certified CDFI or you would need to be a nonprofit organization operating with a principal purpose of developing or managing affordable housing. Um, All applicants, regardless of your entity type, must have been in existence for as a legally formed entity for at least three years prior to the funding round application date. So you have to have been around for three years at least. An application for the Capital Magnet Fund would obviously need to be submitted to the CDFI fund by the due date that would be listed in the notice of funds availability that they release, which we call NOFA for short. And that's usually around 60 days from the date that the application initially comes out. Some of the uses that's allowed for the Capital Magnet Fund can be used to finance affordable housing activities, which can include both home ownership and rental housing. 
as well as related economic development activities and community service facilities, or just a bunch of the uses that you can do. And the grants that you mentioned, they can be used for a variety of things, such as loan loss reserves, revolving loan funds, risk sharing loans, and loan guarantees. And then just as a other side note, any winner of a Capital Magnet Fund Award is required to be able to produce housing and community development investments of at least 10 times the size of the award amount that you get. So we uh, are thinking June roughly for when the application could come out. And you mentioned it could take 90 days to hear back plus or minus on whether or not you got your certification of your CDFI. Correct. Does that mean that there, we're past the time when an entity, when a nonprofit or for-profit could form a CDFI and apply, or are we just very close to the end and they need to act now? I think they're very close to the end and if they acted now. I don't, I think we're still okay because we do think that June date could easily slip into July. Um, you know, June is what we're hearing, but we definitely think it could slip. So I definitely would tell people that I don't think you're outside of the window, but I would definitely act very quickly and now to try to get the certification in in time. So many of our listeners are involved in other community development incentives namely long goals and cash credit and the new markets tax credit. I mean, this is the tax credit Tuesday podcast, but after all, right. so they're involved in these uh, other tax credit incentives. If you could share how the capital magnet fund interacts with these other incentives. Sure. So like I mentioned before, whenever the application round comes out, there's a notice of funds availability that gets released along with the actual application for the capital magnet fund. And in this notice of funds availability, it will state what other programs within the CDFI fund can or cannot be combined with the capital magnet fund award. So since new markets is administered through the CDFI fund, in order to be able to combine new markets potentially with capital magnet fund, you would have to look at the NOFA that comes out for that round. I know they are very particular about wanting to make sure that the same project doesn't get double dipped into multiple programs. As far as light tech goes, I definitely see low-income housing tax credits getting combined with capital magnet funds in a lot of instances. So they, they do get combined a lot. So we discussed earlier how competitive the Capital Magnet Fund program is. So with applications coming out soon, Mm -hmm. uh, what should interested applicants be doing now? We've already discussed, obviously, that if you're not a nonprofit housing organization and not a certified CDFI, you need to go and apply to be certified. So that's certainly something that should be done immediately. Correct. Uh, Beyond that, what else should applicants who are, I should say, interested possible applicants be doing now to get a leg up on the application process? Yeah. So I think what applicants should be doing right now is, you know, getting a head start on this application. There are a number of sections in the application that can take several weeks to kind of complete the narrative drafting of it. And like you just mentioned before, and like I mentioned as well, we only have 60 days, give or take, once the app comes out to get it done. So getting a jump on these sections can save a lot. It's a short window to get everything done. And every applicant should be kind of doing work. Every potential applicant, I should say, should be doing work now in order to get the best application possible. So what they could already be working on and should be right now working on is definitely their track record. There's a whole section about the track record of the entity. So you could already start completing that section and compiling your data that's going to be necessary for that section right now. Another thing that they should be doing right now is working on their pipeline, getting your pipeline going and and really figuring out what deals you're going to be discussing in the pipeline sections of the application and just getting that section in good shape. Because a big thing we always say is the exhibits 
that come with the application, always complete those first because it really helps kind of frame and focus on the rest of the application and what the focus of your projects will be in the pipeline. So these are all things definitely without the application being out, you could definitely be working on and should be. Another one is um, the community impact section is a big section of the application and, and applicants could start working on that right now. We usually tell our clients to expect that the process will take longer than you anticipated for sure. And we, we do currently help a lot of clients that are interested in applying for the Capital Magnum Fund with the track record and pipeline sections right now, well before the application comes out to get a head start on all of that. And it's partly because we also know that the application won't change dramatically from the prior round. So we can use a lot of the prior round to kind of help frame what we need. Yeah, I would just uh, encourage listeners as well to get as much of the blocking and tackling, if you will, done early, because you really want to spend as much of that 60-day application window finish editing (laughs) and fine-tuning the application and having multiple reviews and really knowing it's going to be competitive. You know, there'll be more or less you know, twice as many awardees, obviously right. the average award size could be higher and all the rest, but there's going to be considerably more awardees given the additional funding. Uh, so we do expect a slightly more applicants and it's really important to have a competitive application and you want to be spending as much time as possible, as I mentioned, finish editing and trying to think, what can I do to make the application better as opposed to spending the time trying to collect the applications to meet the minimum uh, application level. Yes. And I also think people, you know, it's always a good estimate to try to get it in early, getting it in on the last day, you know, there could be system softwares going slow. And so, you know, you always want to also hopefully be able to even submit it a few days early at least. No, that is a uh, great, great advice <laughs> about uh, at least starting to submit it early. Right. <laughs> so right. as issues arise, you have time to address those issues. Uh, I should say, should they arise? Not that they necessarily will arise, but you want to have uh, some cushion. There's always the horror story of the client that waited till the last minute and something happened yes. and we weren't able to get their application submitted. Yes. And definitely, I think the software does move slower when there is a multitude of people in there. So accounting for the time that it might, if you get in early and start getting sections in, it might move a lot faster than it does a couple of days before the app is due. Sounds like you've done this once or twice before, Amanda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> so maybe you could give us a big picture look at what I'm sure most or many listeners are thinking right now. And that's okay. You've talked about getting the blocking and tackling done, but what do successful applicants for the Capital Fund generally have in common? What mm-hmm. is the sort of finished editing or, you know, what is it about the, those that are successful that, that separates them from those that aren't? Yeah, I definitely think part of it is 100% having a consistent theme and strategy throughout is really important. I mean, I know when we review applications, if there's a theme, you want to make sure that the questions don't read a little disjointed. And because you're sometimes tackling questions, not in exactly order, you want to do like a full read of it later to make sure it sounds consistent throughout. So I do think the best applications are where they have a theme and a strategy and it resonates throughout the application. I also obviously think having, if, if an organization is lucky enough to have staff there that has application experience, even if it's in another area like light tech, that's a big plus because they at least have experience on working in an application and what it's like. Also using consultants such as us who really help an application, especially if you're an organization that hasn't been through the Capital Magnet Fund application before, having some people that have been through it before and know what to be looking for is a great help. So I definitely think having consultants such as us is a huge help. 
Also, another big part of the application is just there's a leveraging factor that you have to calculate kind of in the application. There's three different levels of leveraging that are mentioned. It's There's enterprise, reinvestment, and project. And you have to be able to calculate your leverage ratio. And I know that that is a very big thing in the application. And most winners are well above the minimum 10 times ratio that they say is what's needed to win an award. There are people that are, you know, well, well above the 10 times, maybe 132 leverage factor or something. So that's a huge part. And those are all the things that we would be helping look for in reviewing an app. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned about having someone read the app through or multiple people read the app through sort of beginning to end is really important. Yes. Uh, oftentimes you'll be parsing out, you know, you go do the track record and, and different people right. different parts of the application to your point that sometimes yeah. it could end up reading disjointed. Yes. And that's where having multiple folks reading the application is really uh, helpful. And I'd also sort of advise that you really have to be reading the question, trying to understand what the question's uh, asking and why right. they're asking it. Correct. And being responsive to the Correct. question. It's, it sounds, you know, obvious. <laughs> yes. But uh, I'm not saying, I'm only saying it because sometimes you'll read answers that aren't really that responsive to the question. Correct. And it's very important to be responsive to the question. Yeah. You definitely want to make sure, I, I, I know every organization wants to highlight all the good they do and, and they should, but it's about finding what question makes the most sense to put it in. Sometimes you're hundred percent right. I, you read a question and then you read the answer and it's a great answer, but I didn't answer the question. And it's like, you're trying to find the answer in the question. And, you know, so you're right. I think the the best ones are where the answer is very concise and it's very easy to find the answer to what they asked above. Cause that's what they're looking for. And then reading it and keeping a consistent theme or just some really good areas that I find that make the applications the most successful. And that's also where someone like yourself who has worked on multiple applications over multiple years and have seen the questions slowly morph. Right. <laughs> can have a heightened sensitivity to how the question changed from the time before and why it changed and all the Correct. rest to have some insights in terms of uh, what the goal of the question is, what they're trying to determine. Exactly. Clearly the CDFI fund is trying to get information. So they give the awards to those that can best use the resources. Yes. And it's important to understand, you know, what the CDF5 funds priorities are. So you're as responsive uh, as possible. Yes, I, I would 100% right. agree. So I'm sure we have more than one a listener to this podcast who's applied for a Capital Magnifying Award in the past, but weren't successful. You know, they were part of the group that applied, but, you know, weren't uh, one of the awardees. If they're listening, <laughs> yes. you know, what would you tell that the person that didn't receive an award? And then similarly, for someone who's received an award in the past, and maybe they think they have it figured out, what would you tell them? Yep. <laughs> so yep. maybe speak to both uh, audiences, because yeah. I'm pretty sure either the audience has either applied or applied and not gotten an award, or at least a large yeah. portion of the audience. No, no problem. So I, for the listener, the podcast listener that has applied and didn't receive a, a successful award, I would tell them to go, let's go back and revisit why it was unsuccessful. Um, now is the perfect opportunity to have us review your prior year application, see what areas need more work and, and let's revisit what was good and, and you know, what, what we think maybe was some of the items that maybe made you not win. And so, um, you know, now would be the perfect opportunity to go back and revisit that. And even for the podcast listener who has won an award in the past, you know, success in the past doesn't guarantee success in the future. And like Mike has been saying, I'm, the awards, we expect way more applications than, than ever before with the amount, the award amount being over double what it's ever been. So I think every applicant, even if you've won in the past, should always review the prior year application and see what sections 
worked good and which areas could be improved upon because I believe every application, even if it was a winner before, it always has an area that could be improved upon in every application. And so I think we should always strive to do our best and improve the quality of an application every round. So I think even if you've won in the past, it's worthwhile to go back and look at it and see, maybe this could be a little stronger this time and work on that as well. I think that's a pretty important for prior awardees because every round gets more competitive. Every round, you know, those that won uh, obviously had a successful application. Those that didn't are trying to make it better. Those that won two years ago, but didn't win last year. So you, you definitely have an ever increasing and effective competition. And as such, it's important that even if you're successful, that you go into the applications and identify what areas made it more successful and what areas can be approved upon. And obviously that's more art than science, but it's an important art. Yes. Yes. And I definitely would recommend every, every person, whether you won or not going back and revisiting it. Cause like I said, I guarantee you could still find an area, even if you won, that you could probably find a question that could be improved upon a little bit better this time. Yeah. It's like uh, even like star athletes and all the rest, they always say, well, after they had a great game, you know, it was not a great game and the really exceptional athletes are looking at the game as successful they were, they can think of the areas that they could have improved. Right. Uh, And that's obviously why they're uh, such successful athletes. And I think even if you are a prior winner, you now have even more of a track record, a new track record, maybe with your new award that you just won. So your your answers are obviously going to be different. And so I think it's definitely worth going back and just revisiting everything and not just assuming all the answers still work and you're going to get another allocation again. Right. So this has been a very timely discussion. Uh, we could actually chat about this, you know, for a lot longer, but I think I'll sort of bring it towards a close here. But before I do, the Capital Magnet Fund applications aren't the only thing that you work on. So I wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to mention with respect to CDFIs and there's some other areas where you're working with CDFIs. Yeah. So one last quick item I can mention is that a number of the CDFIs I've been working with um, have, you know, recently been very interested in um, applying to be a member of the Federal Home Loan Bank. Um, This is a good organization that if you are, you have to be certified as a certified CDFI through the CDFI fund. But if you are, um, you can apply to be a member of this home loan bank. And it really gives a lot of these certified CDFIs um, a great resource to some very low cost capital and debt once they actually become a member. So I've been helping um, some CDFIs working through that application as well. Excellent. Thank you very much, Amanda, for joining me in the podcast today and sharing your thoughts. I think many of our listeners have learned a lot, not only what makes for a successful application, but also they learned how to use their time before the application round uh, to prepare for a successful application. As I noted earlier, I'm going to give you Amanda's contact information now. Uh, so if you're interested in talking to Amanda as to how Novagrada can help you with your capital magnifying application or your you know, application to have your uh, CDFI certified by the CDFI fund. Or if you have other questions for Amanda, if you want to talk to her about applying to become a member of the federal home loan bank uh, groups, uh, then just reach out to Amanda. Uh, you can email her at amanda.read at novaco.com. That's Amanda, A-M-A-N-D-A dot read, R-E-A-D at novaco.com. I'll also include her email address in today's show notes as well as the blog post uh, she referenced. I I won't include her email in the blog post she referenced. (laughs) I'll uh, include a link to the blog post in the show notes that discusses the capital bag to fund and has the estimate of the $370 million. Now for next week's show, uh, many of you, I am sure, got our breaking news email. And if you didn't get it, make sure you sign up for our breaking news emails. 
HUD did release the income limits. And these income limits uh, are every year released around April 1st. Uh, They recently released these income limits. And these income limits determine eligibility by tenants for HUD-assisted programs and low-income tax credit properties. Uh, These income limits also determine the maximum rents that tax credit property owners and owners of tax and bond finance residential rental properties can charge. In order to address these income limits and what they mean, I'm going to have in next week's podcast, my partner, Thomas Stagg. Now, Thomas Stagg is an expert. I don't think anyone knows more than Thomas about income limits. And he'll be here to share his thoughts on what these new income limit numbers mean. Bearing in mind that these new income limit numbers do not include data from the period of the pandemic. So there's a lot to know about what these income limits mean today and what we might be looking for in terms of income limit volatility in the coming years. Now, you can make sure that you're notified as soon as that episode, as well as future podcast episodes are available by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. Simply go to www.novaco.com slash podcast to subscribe, as well as to stream the show directly from our website. You can also subscribe to Tax Credit Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and Radio Public. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.